0: For behold, the Lord God of hosts is taking away from Jerusalem and from Judah all uh, support and supply, all support of bread and all support of water. The mighty man and the soldier, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of 50 and the man of rank, the counselor and the skillful magician, and the expert in charms. And I will make boys their princes, and infants shall rule over them. And the people will oppress one another. "'everyone his fellow, and everyone his neighbor. "'The youth will be insolent to the elder "'for the despised, and the despised to the honorable. "'For a man will take hold of his brother "'in the house of his father, saying, "'You have a cloak, you shall be our leader, "'and this heap of ruins shall be under your rule. "'And that day he will speak out, saying, "'I will not be a healer. "'In my house there is neither, cloak nor, nor, neither bread nor cloak. "'You shall not make me leader of the people. "'For Jerusalem has stumbled.' and Judah has fallen, because their speech and their deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. For the look on their faces bears witness against them. They proclaim their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves. Tell the righteous, it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. Woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with them for what his hands have dealt out shall be done to him. Verse 12, my people, infants are their oppressors and women rule over them. Oh, my people, your guides mislead you and they have swallowed up the course of your paths. The Lord has taken his place to contend. He stands to judge peoples. The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders and the prince of his people. It is you who have devoured the vineyard the spoil of the poor is in your houses what do you mean by crushing my people by grinding the face of the poor declares the lord of hosts the lord said because the daughters of zion are haughty and walk with outstretched necks glancing wantonly with their eyes mincing along as they go tinkling with their feet therefore the lord will strike a scab that will strike with a scab the head of the daughters of zion and the lord will lay bare their secret parts And that day the Lord will take away the finery of the anklets, the headbands, and the crescents, the pendants, the bracelets, and the scarves, the headdresses, the amulets, and the scashes, the perfume boxes, and the amulets, the signet rings, and the nose rings, the festal robes, the mantles, the cloaks, and the handbags, the mirrors, the linen garments, the turbans, and the veils. Instead of perfume, there will be rottenness, and a belt instead of a belt, a rope, instead of well-set hair baldness, instead of a rich robe, a skirt of sackcloth, and branding instead of beauty. Your men shall fall by the sword, and your mighty men in battle, and her gates shall lament and mourn. Empty, she shall sit on the ground. This is the word of the Lord from Isaiah 3. Join me in prayer. Father, we come to you uh, just in the midst of a, uh, text with a lot of judgment, God, a lot of uh, things that may uh, seem confusing and out of touch to our uh, modern world. Lord, I pray you would speak through us this morning. God, I pray that you would make the text real and make the text live to us. God, use me as a imperfect and weak vessel to uh, communicate uh, your truth. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so... Isaiah 3, the big picture that we see here where we're going is that for Judah, collapse and judgment came because they relied on their own power and wisdom, and they boasted in their own sinful speech and deeds, which were against the Lord. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, for Isaiah 3, we're going to be seeing three main points. We're going to be looking at the collapse, the judgment, and the repercussions. So we'll begin in verse one, looking at the first point, the collapse. And we're gonna ask the question, what went wrong? Why are these things happening in Judah? And the first note that I want us to take by looking at verse one is that these are not random acts that are occurring. Verse one starts out, for behold, the Lord God of hosts is taking away from Jerusalem and from Judah. It's the sovereign power of God Motivated by the holiness of God that is working out in this text against Judah. The holiness of God. It's the foundation and the cause for what is happening and for what is occurring. These aren't random texts. And uh, this first section of Isaiah 3, 1 through 15. If you notice as we're going through, it's bookended by this idea and this phrase of the Lord God of hosts. And so this whole movement, we see that this is not random, but that this is happening on purpose, and it's happening because of the Lord. So I want us to take note that these are not uh, just mere random events, but these are happening because God is uh, moving them. So God is acting, and we see, well, he's doing something. And what is he doing? He is taking away from Jerusalem and from Judah support and supply. I like how the uh, CSB renders this verse. It says that he's removing every kind of security from Judah. And uh, I think that that really just paints the picture of the entirety of what is going on here. And if we just slow down and consider what that would mean for us to have all of our security, all of our support removed, that would be dramatic. And it would be so detrimental to our lives. What would it look like if your life had no support, no supply, no security? What would it look like if you went to the sink and turned the sink handle and no water came out? If you go to the fridge and go to get food and it's empty, if your door won't lock at night, if you're not able to feel safe and secure in your own house, that's what the picture is painted here of God removing every form of support and security from Judah You don't need to be a Christian or biblical scholar to understand that removing all of these things is not a good, it's not good for us. You know, when we don't have our security, when we don't have our essential needs met, it's challenging to do or think of uh, anything else. If you're familiar with uh, social or psychological language, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs talks about the meeting of our physical needs and the meeting of our financial security needs, kind of as the bottom, the most basic things we need, and then we can move on to human flourishing and human relationships and human actualization. And God's saying, yeah, not even going there, like you don't have food and water. This is a massive judgment and a massive condemnation and a powerful one that is coming against Judah. And ultimately, this is going to come when the Assyrians and the Babylonians Uh, their pending invasions come and they're going to remove this security and remove uh, these things. Um, But there's a deeper theological uh, understanding to what is going on here. Uh, One commentator wrote like this, and I really think uh, what he's saying here is um, uh, powerful and amazing. And he says that the removal of the food and water is a powerful uh, retributive statement, an offense against the Creator results in withholding the blessings of creation. So when Judah, whatever they've done, we're gonna see what they've done later on in the text, but whatever they've done, it's been an offense directly against the creator, directly against God. And as a penalty for that, he's saying, you don't get to enjoy the blessings of my creation. You don't get to enjoy what I've made with food and water. So we know that they did something and because of that, the blessings of creation are going to be taken from them. A removal of the basic necessities, which then moves on to what we see further, is a removal of security in the forms of really all relationships and all uh, leaderships in Judah. There's a clear breakdown of all levels of leadership in society that we see in verses 2 through to 5, the removal of mighty men, the removal of armies, of judges, of prophets. And it's basically saying the military is going to break down. The judicial system is going to break down. The prophets, the very ones who carry the message and carry the word of God are collapsing and being broken down. Rather than experienced leaders, there are going to be youthful and inexperienced leaders. It says that uh, infants, shall rule over them, which is quite a picture of the lack of experience, and perhaps the experience that is just driven by emotion and desire. There's not wisdom that's leading the people of Judah. And this has a disastrous effect on the breakdown of human relationships in the nation. If you look at verse 5, it says, and people will oppress one another, everyone his fellow and everyone his neighbor. The youth will be insolent to the elder and the despised to the honorable. So there we see with the youth being insolent to the elder, it's a looking back towards the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments to honoring your father and mother and saying even something as foundational as this, as the youth honoring the elder, that's gone. All levels of society, all levels of leadership, all levels of human interaction are collapsing and crumbling here in Judah. Judah not only has no essentials, but they have no leaders. And you get this picture that the leaders have driven them to the edge, they've driven them to the edge of collapse and they see the writing on the wall and then they flee and no one is left. The group of elders, they've led the people to destruction and then they are just gone. And as we continue seeing through, we're gonna go through the text. We're gonna see what exactly these leaders have done to put them in this place of just utter uh, despair and collapse. As we go on, we see uh, that the leaders are not even there and what leaders they have uh, are not good. We say that there's infants ruling over them. And then in verses six, uh, through seven, it talks about the qualifications of an L, of a leader being someone who merely has a cloak. A man will come and take hold of his brother and say, uh, "You have a cloak. You shall be our leader." And just picture what that would look like for a second. The leader of a geopolitical nation, Judah, and the only qualification that they have is a cloak. You know, if you've looked on Job Street or Indeed or any of these. Websites. When you're looking at a job, you normally see a company profile like this. Company's been around for so many years. They've worked in so many com- countries, and it tells you a little bit about them, and then a little about the qualifications. Don't you to have a master's degree and 10 years of experience and whatever it is? Well, the company profile for Judah is we're, we got a heap of ruins. That's what you're coming into if you sign on, and the qualifications. Um, if you're alive and you're not naked, like you got the job. It's very low qualifications that we're looking for here, because no one wants to take up this mantle. And even the person that has the cloak, is like, no, 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 no. I don't have a cloak. I don't have food. I, I can't be this person that you want me to be. The people do not want leaders. And there's something that's going on in the text that we'll see in the second portion, that the leaders have done something. The leaders have acted in a way that uh, makes the even the people who've been oppressed by them, not want to take up this mantle of leadership. No one wants to be a leader. And I think just maybe a question for us to reflect on, a question for you all to reflect on in this transition for Harvest is, how may the Lord be preparing you to serve the church here? I know Dan just talked about membership and talked about uh, committing to and serving to the church, and uh, as we think about, yeah, how, can the, how may the Lord be preparing you and calling you to serve the church here? Well, the next we see is an explanation of the collapse. In verse eight, this is kind of our hinge point between the first point of the collapse and the second point of the judgment. It's moving from the what happened to the why it happened. And we see a really important statement. It says, for Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen because their speech and their deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. So we see two things that Jerusalem and Judah have done. They have spoken and they have acted. Speaking and acting in and of themselves aren't bad, but it is how they spoke and acted. They spoke and acted against God, and they spoke and acted defying his glorious presence. So the people were actively, not passively, but actively going against the will of God, actively defying the glory and the presence of God. And this points back to what we looked at in the beginning of God's holiness and God's power as the motivator and the driver of what God is doing here. One commentator wrote that chapter three shows a single point. Dependence on human leaders will not lead to a realization of the mountain of the Lord. So last week, I think in uh, Isaiah chapter two, you looked at uh, one through five in this picture of the Glorious mountain of the Lord, and uh, there will be flourishing. And that's not going to come through the leadership that is here in chapter three. Rather, the leadership that we see here, rather, the dependence on humanity will lead to collapse, it will lead to Judah falling. So we see that the holiness and the power of God is driving the actions, it's driving what is happening here in Judah. We see that the removal of security, the basic necessities of life affect everything, moves on to affecting the leaders and breaking down human relationships. There's a need for leaders, but no one wants the job. And there's blatant sin. There's blatant going against the will of God. And this is all why, or this is the what of what's happening in Judah. It's a collapse that's happening. There's no leaders, there's a removal of security. And as we turn and look towards verses nine through the rest of the chapter, we can ask the question why? Why is this happening? And thinking at uh, they see the collapse, and now moving to the judgment and asking the question, why? Is this happening? In verse nine, we see a uh, very important statement to what Isaiah is trying to uh, communicate. It says, For the look on their faces bears witness against him. They proclaim their sins like Sodom, they do not hide it. Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves. I think, first off, uh, for most of us in the room, if we're familiar at all with the Bible or really just life in general, we know that being compared to Sodom and Gomorrah, like that's a bad thing. Like no one wants to be compared to Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's what we see Isaiah comparing the Judahites to in this text. But the really important, the key thing that we're gonna see in the rest of verse nine and 10 and 11 is this idea introducing the principle of retribution of you get what you deserve, you get what's coming to you. And Isaiah says, woe to them for they have brought evil on themselves. So this is further elaborating from what we saw in verse 8. They sin and now they're boasting about it. Like Sodom, they are proud and they are boasting. They are proclaiming their sins. They're not hiding them, but they are putting them out in the open. They're saying, yeah, this is what we do. We're pretty proud about it. It's a direct comparison. It's never a good thing in the Bible to be compared to Sodom. And this, uh, this introduction of the idea of just retribution, or of "You get what you deserve," comes out and is seen even further in verses 10 and 11. We have a comparison of the righteous person and the wicked person. And for the righteous person, there will be fruit. For the wicked person, there will be illness. For the righteous person, there will be things will go well for the wicked person, things will be woe. it's, It's not good. There's a clear contrast, and it's from the work of their hands, the deeds. So the deeds that the righteous person does leads to fruit, and the deeds, the works of the hands of the wicked person leads to wickedness, to ill. It's not good. We don't want to be in this position of the wicked and comparison to the righteous. Isaiah is giving us a picture of what we earn in life is we, we get what we earn in life. And for Judah, their wickedness, and especially for the rulers and the leaders of Judah, what they've earned is judgment. Comparing again to the sins of Sodom is, it's a very bad thing. Like all throughout the Bible, when you th- see Sodom, there's judgment and it's not good. And I think before we even go any further into the text, uh, I know you all were paying great attention two weeks ago uh, when Michael taught and you guys took notes and you remember verbatim. Um, but before we go any further, I think it's important for us to re- uh, read Isaiah 1:16 through 17, because as we go further into the text, it's going to directly look at what's going on here. I'll read Isaiah 1, 16 through 17. If you can flip back page or two, you can see that. So chapter 1, verse 16. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. So in chapter 1 this is what Isaiah is telling Judah that they are to do. And then what do we see here 2 chapters later and it's almost the exact opposite. Rather than removing the evil deeds and washing themselves they are boasting and they are proud like Sodom. And as we move forward to verses 12 through to 15 we see the the heart Of the leaders, how they are not seeking to correct injustice. They are not seeking to advocate for the orphan and the widow, but rather they are doing nearly the exact opposite. Verses 12 through to 15 read, My people, infants are their oppressors, and women rule over them. Oh, my people, your guides mislead you, and you have swallowed up the course of your paths. The Lord has taken his place to contend. He stands to judge the peoples. The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders and the princes of his people. It is you who have devoured the vineyard. The spoil of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people, by grinding their face to the poor, declares the Lord of hosts? There's, there's a lot going on in these verses. And we see that the judgment will be directed towards these oppressive Leaders. And and why is it? Well, it's because they're oppressing their own people. They're misleading their own people. They're plundering from the poor. They're crushing God's people and they're grinding the faces of the poor. And this is in direct disobedience to what they were told to do in chapter 1 16 through 17. The responsibility of the leaders was to care for the poor, the responsibility of the leaders was to extend justice. And that's the exact opposite of what they did. Instead of caring for the poor and seeking justice, one author wrote that they allowed uh, young boys to rise to the throne permitted women, maybe the queen mother or the woman in the harem to rule over them. These advisors lead people astray and confuse them so that they did not follow God's path for life. There is a clear statement about the leaders here. They are oppressing their people. And more than that, they are not seeking justice. So not only are they not seeking justice, but they're actively oppressing their people. They're actively disobeying God in their sin. And they are proud. They're haughty about it. These leaders were oppressive to the poor and to their people, and the directed judgment of God is coming to them. And just as a side note on verse 12, there are um, a a lot of potential uh, interpretations uh, to what this means by infants and women ruling over them. Um, And I think perhaps if when Michael comes back, he can share some of them, but the main point I think, is that whoever these leaders are, they're not being judged for who they are, but what they're doing. And it's oppression, It's injustice. It's not advocating for the poor. It's not advocating for the widow and the orphan. And I think as we pause, it should cause us to consider, well, how do we treat the poor? You know, we live in... Uh, Massive city, and I know it can be easy, you know, if we get in the cars and drive our normal routes to work or do our normal things, you know, sometimes kale's weird and the uh, poverty can be hidden a bit. And if we don't see it, if we're not seeking it out, we may not find it. But how are we caring for the poor in Kuala Lumpur? How are we seeking justice for? The poor for the orphan for the widow. And I don't know how best harvest can do that. And maybe that's a discussion for you all to have as you think about what it means to love and serve your community here in Ompong well. And as you talk about your families, what it looks like for your families to love and care and serve for the orphans and the poor and the widows. But it's clear that God has a heart for them. So whatever that expression is in our lives, in our churches, we know that this is something that God deeply cares about. So why was there things going wrong? Why was this happening in Judah? There was blatant sin, blatant sin that compared them to Sodom. There was oppression that came The leaders were oppressing the people. The leaders were not advocating and seeking justice for the poor. And because of that, there was retribution. The people essentially, the leaders essentially got what was coming for them. They disregarded what God had told them through Isaiah in 1, 16 through 17, and they do the exact opposite. For Judah, collapse and judgment came because they relied on their own power and wisdom. They boasted in sin, speech, and deed, which were against the Lord. And this leads us to our third final point of the repercussion of what happens now. Now that we've seen the, the, the idea of retribution, what happens now after the judgment? And there is this long and lengthy discourse about judgment coming to the uh, daughters of Judah. And I think it's important to make a few notes on uh, one, that the image of the daughters of Jerusalem will come up again uh, when you guys go through Isaiah four. If that's next week or two weeks, whenever that is, just lock that away. The daughters of Judah, the daughters of Jerusalem are uh, coming back. Uh, I really wish Michael would have let me preach three and four because there's so much good stuff coming in Isaiah four. So. Just remember this, lock this away. And I think also the other thing we need to remember is there's more going on than simply what's on the surface here. I think it would be uh, easy for us to read this uh, section and be like, all right, we should, I should throw away my watch. Um, I need to get rid of my rings. We need to just get rid of all of our outward appearance, anything that makes us look good. Um, But I think there's something going on deeper I think we need to look deeper. What is the heart level that's coming out and expressing itself in these verses? You know, we just saw that chapter one, 16 through 17 and three 12 through 15 showed the great importance of care for the orphans, the widows. And now the daughters of Jerusalem, rather than caring for the poor, the widows and the orphans, what are they doing? They're adorning themselves with jewelry. They're adorning themselves with all of these fine things instead of looking at the poor, instead of caring for the poor. You get this picture painted of, I don't know, I'm sure you all have been to Bukit Bintang area. And if you walk out of the train station there at the MRT, there's beggars, there's people that need food, there's people that need medical help. And right there, like meters away from them is Pavilion Mall and Star Hill Mall and places where I can't get into because I don't have that type of credit score or credit limit, you know, like, and there's this juxtaposition of just absolute poverty and need and utter adornment and lavishness and I'm not saying, like, don't go to Pavilion or don't go to Star Hill Mall. Um, I think that goes to you all as a church, you all as a family, thinking through and working through what does it look like for us to care for the poor and care for the oppressed in our city. But the judgment here on the daughters of Judah is coming in direct connection with the oppression. So they're doing all these things and something's wrong with this picture. The way that they are dressing, the way that they are putting on lavish expensiveness, it doesn't make sense in light of the brokenness. One woman wrote that the point of Isaiah three is not criticism of the woman's fashion, but a denouncement of the people and high office for their social justice, or we could say their lack of social justice. So they adorned themselves with beauty, and then the ironic retribution came as they were seeking to be attractive. They were seeking beauty and they were given these leprous scabs and they were made bald, and they end up unattractive and repellent. And it shows sin's corrupting power in our life. Verses uh, 16 through 17 of this section show that the physical person is affected by sin And then 18 through 24, look at, you know, the things that we desire are then affected by sin. All of the things that they're chasing for and desiring were broken and affected by sin. Um, And then the chapter just kind of comes to a really solemn and uh, upsetting close. Verses 25 through 26 say, your men shall fall by the sword and your mighty men in battle and her gates shall lament and mourn, empty, she shall sit on the ground. And that's it. And uh, chapter three ends. And it describes describing this coming judgment and this great tension. There's more coming in, ver- in chapter four. So like, I want to encourage you all to come back. Uh, it doesn't end here. But for us this morning, I think it does beg the question, what do we do? What do we do from Isaiah 3? It's a somber passage. There's a lot of judgment. And I think there could be people who read this and say, well, maybe we you know, should throw out all of our jewelry and any attempt to attract in this. And that's the way we apply this passage. Um, maybe we should uh, store up all of our water supply and sh- get stock houses full of food in case our basic necessities uh, are stripped away. Um, I don't think that's quite right because I think if we do that, we're missing the heart. We're missing the deeper heart idols that are going on here. As we look through a heavy passage like this, there's really only one bright spot. There's really only one thing to grab hold to one example. And it's uh, in verse 10. Right after Isaiah had introduced this principle of retribution, he points to the righteous person. He says, tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. And that's really kind of the only bright spot in the chapter. And so I think as we consider how do we apply this to our lives, well, the call would be if we want to escape judgment, if we want to bear fruit. We have to be righteous, right? Because other than that, it's going to go not well with us. We're going to be seeing judgment. So the call for us this morning is to be righteous and bear fruit. Uh, But if you're anything like me, after reading a chapter like that, that, it doesn't seem like enough, right? We just saw We just saw 26 verses of human weakness, human flaw, of idols of the heart that are manifesting themselves in pride, in desires for leadership, in oppression, desires for money. Idols of the heart are manifesting themselves in a variety of ways. And we see that we we can't, on our own power and on our own strength, be righteous and bear fruit. I know I've tried to do this. I've tried to read the Bible enough. I've tried to pray enough. I've tried to serve church enough to earn a righteousness and bear fruit on my own. And every time I end up just woefully sad, (laughs) I end up feeling empty. I end up feeling like I'm not good enough. I think it's because we're not meant to do this on our own. We're not meant to, and we're not able to be righteous and bear fruit on our own. The text calls us to that, but we can't do it on our own. And that's where we see the hope from judgment. There was one person who was righteous. Utterly, completely, totally righteous. Christ lived the perfect life a life of righteousness and a life that deserved and earned righteousness. But for our sake, in great exchange, he took our judgment. He took the death that we deserve and he gave us his righteousness. And what does Christ say? And I'm sure a familiar passage to many of us in John 15 says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But if we abide in him and he abides in us, we can bear fruit. So I think the call for us is to be righteous. The call for us is to bear this gospel fruit, but not on our own. If we seek to do this on our own, I think it's going to lead to idolatries. I think it's going to lead to pride, to control, to any other host of things that we have seen manifested in the text but we can be righteous. We can bear fruit by abiding in Christ. So harvest kale, I would call you this morning to abide in Christ. And from that abiding, you can be righteous and you can bear fruit. And to the measure, to the extent that you see the beauty of abiding in Christ, you'll be able to enjoy bearing fruit. You'll be able to enjoy these things because you know You're not earning salvation at all, but you're working from a secure and safe place in Christ. We see the collapse of Judah here, the judgment that is predicted and the repercussions that will come for blatant sin, for blatant disregard of God's law. And there's not a lot of comfort, not a lot of hope for us this morning other than through the blood of Christ. So if you are a Christian this morning, I would call you all to rest in the gospel, rest in the salvation, rest and abide in Christ. And if you are not a believer this morning, I would call you to just consider what would it look like for you to grab hold of the gospel? The Bible tells us that judgment is is a reality. But in Christ, we can have life and hope and joy. So if you are not a believer and uh, you would love to talk to someone about what that means, I'd be happy to stay back. I'm sure Dan or whoever else you've seen on stage this morning would love to further that conversation with you. Well, let me pray. God, we admit that on our own, we are weak. On our own, we cannot bear fruit. We cannot live a righteous life. We thank you that in Christ, we can have hope for forgiveness of sins. In Christ, we can have hope for life in you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.